Hello, creeps. I'll be your ghost. I mean host. As we delve the crypts of spooky movies and even spookier theory. Welcome to Horror Vanguard. Hello everybody, it is a very special Horror Vanguard episode. Uh, it's Halloween, so as as always, uh, we try and do something a little bit extra. We try and do uh, something a uh, uh, a little bit different. Um, we are do- we're doing something uh, fun today, and I'm I'm super excited to get into it. I am John, joined as always by my good friend and co-ghost Ash. How are you doing? I am doing really good, really good today. Uh, it's it's really exciting to do these spin-off episodes, these glimpses into all of the shows we could have done. Oh, wait, no, is this in-universe? I'm sorry. It's really good to do another normal episode of the same podcast you've always heard. Oh, no. Oh, no. The the, con- the continuity. The continuity has <laughs> uh, been ruined. Ding. Continuity error. The working class <laughs> did not overthrow the bosses. <laughs> this is why This is why Marxists on the internet get annoyed at us. <laughs> Oh, well, this is this is really this is really exciting. You know, Har- Harlan County, USA, Bar- Barbara Koppel's iconic documentary from the seventies is is a film that you and I have referenced countless times, not only on this show but on shows we've guested on. It's it's a, it's a mm-hmm. it's a touchstone film for us, not to be confused with a touchstone film from the company Touchstone. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but it's good. It's good to finally have a good chat about it. Yeah, absolutely. I can't. I, I. I. feel like this is this is well overdue. Um, but yeah, it's it's been something that we talked about so much that we've never really given a uh, kind of direct engagement with. Uh, mm-hmm. But we can change that. We absolutely, change that. absolutely. And I know, I know our audience. Our audience loves one part of the show more than others, and it's the part of the show where you, John aka the liquor guy tell us what today's film is really all about i'm not a coal miner as you well know but i'm as close as i could be not to be one my father was a coal miner he was killed in the mines and my husband is slowly dying with black lung and my husband and me was in the strike in the 30s in bloody harlan county and i do mean it is bloody too and they tell me these miners say we're going to stick it out unless Duke Power signs the contract till hell freezes over. And the men know they've got nothing to lose but their chains and their union to gain. Uh, this is called A Meditation for My Grandfather. I would like to tell you about my grandfather. He was a miner. Perhaps we'll get there, but first, a question. What is history made of? At a very basic level, coal is perhaps not the worst answer. In a sense, that is what coal is, the accretion of time and pressure on life makes coal. All of us are carbon. The plants of millions of years ago are the black gold, still dug out of mines all across the world. What is coal what is history it is fuel for engines for factories 
for power stations and for steam turbines. Coal is fuel, the catalyst of the Industrial Revolution and the means by which capitalism powered its growth. Just carbon. And in the logic of the marketplace, everything burns, history included. The chemical changes which thus take place are constantly increasing the atmosphere by large quantities of carbonic acid and other gases noxious to animal life. The means by which nature decomposes these elements or reconverts them into a solid form are not sufficiently known. Charles Babbage, 1835. They've known for so long what is happening. Those who order men, women and children into the earth. The ground is so hollow now, and the air is so thick that it's hard to breathe. Yet, if out of the earth, out of the very stuff of history, comes the fuel of capitalism, it was brought into being by the force which has still the most revolutionary potential, the working class. If coal is history and history is fuel, History is also the power of class consciousness and shared collective memory. Miners have always struck. A strike is about wages and conditions, but is also and always what Engels called the military school of the working man. Strikes are skirmishes in a class war. All of our life we've been kicked around, we've been put in jail, We've been shot at, we've had dynamite thrown at us, and then you don't want us to have nothing. Well, I tell you, Mr. Horn, I'm going to be standing right there on that picket line looking at you just as long as it takes. Perhaps my grandfather went on strike. I don't know, I don't remember. But there were dozens of pits around Swansea sunk into the mineral-rich earth of South Wales. A riches that, it must be said, went to power stations and factories in the Midlands of England. History took him from me when I was young, lungs black with tar from his fondness for cigarettes, and, of course, from coal dust. I remember him as a pale-faced figure with an oxygen cannula, sitting in a wing-back chair, smiling at grandchildren. I was, in truth, a little afraid of him as a child, but I hope he was there and saw firsthand the combination of class power and capital meeting, an antagonism made visible in the swing of every riot police officer's baton, every picket, and every righteous demand. The People's Remembrancer, Gwyn Alf Williams, noted that pits and mines are museums now. Wales is a land of museums, full of redundant people, just like my grandfather. Perhaps the same is true of every mining town. Shovel them into museums, no one lives in old mining towns. Now that's history for you too, or so we're told. But in the earth, there is more than one history. In the coal, there is so much blood. The Colkini radical, who made him a radical, I've seen times when I didn't have the right to eat in this state. I've seen the time when I was refused a job. I've been served with eviction papers and thrown out of my house. I've seen women and children brutally treated in mining camps. I've seen hell turned loose. Frank Keeney, UMWA District 17 President, 1921. At the end of a great strike novel, Germinal, by Emile Zola, there is a familiar story. They had lost 
money, and lives. But Paris would not forget the shots fired at the Livereau mine, and the blood of the empire would drain out of this incurable wound. For even if the industrial slump was drawing to a close, a state of war had nonetheless been declared, and peace was no longer possible. As the old song goes, which side are you on? If you go to Harlan County, if you go to South Wales, if you go to the Coal Belt of Pennsylvania, if you go to the mines still active anywhere in this world, there is no neutral. You'll either be a union man or a thug for J.H. Blair. Join us and the ghost of my grandfather and come underground as we discuss Barbara Koppel's Holland County, USA. Who can expect a man to work in such filthy and slimy conditions for £25.29 on the surface, £27.29 on the ground, and at the first worker, the highest paid man, £36.79, when he can go into a factory into much more congenial conditions, far better environmental conditions, and at the same time, receive wages far in excess of that which you can get in the mining industry. So it's a case of reaffirming our support for this resolution, and it's for or against. All in favour of the resolution, please show. Thank you once again for an unanimous decision, and thank you for attending the meeting. Thank you. Their colliery is already at risk, but these men are determined to go through with the industrial action that could hasten its closure. You know, I think this is the first time that I wished our show had a visual component because I'm honestly tearing up at that. That was beautiful. Let's go. Was, you should do more of these. That well, was that was incredibly well done. Well, I have a good guide to follow. <laughs> no, no. Before I, before I get too teary and sentimental, let's jump into this formalism zone. Zone, 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 zone. Um. Yeah, brilliant. Where would you like to begin? Well, let's let's start with the fact that today's film is a documentary, a somewhat rare occurrence on our program. Yeah, we've done only a few. Um, uh, what are your thoughts? I, I think the the documentary form in, in this one is very interesting, and and for me, I kept thinking about, and this is something, of course, that I've brought up on the show before, but Werner Herzog's. Um, I, I, iconic statement, right? You know, like we we are artists, right? You know, we're not the fly on the wall. We are the hornets that sting. You know, Koppel's documentary has a decided sting to it. This is not a kind of feigned neutrality towards its subject. And mm. I really appreciate that because I think that does what the propaganda for feigned neutrality suggests that that would do, right? Because the the propagandists for the kind of quote unquote objectivity say that oh it makes you honest it makes you clear eyed it it makes your work more potent and like none of that's true it makes your work wishy washy and and diffuse but with Koppel's like it is so clear eyed it is so direct like there is no turning away from the power of this film yeah absolutely um, I just want to sh- shout out uh, on the 
uh, Wikipedia page for this film, you'll find a point from the film critic Dennis Schwartz, who liked the documentary, yet quoting the page, found flaw in it providing only one point of view. He describes the film as one of the better and more rousing labour strike films that call attention to class war in America, though it doesn't offer enough analysis or balance on the issue. Ah! <laughs> uh, which which side are you on, Dennis? I think we know. I think we know. <laughs> yeah, I think I think we got an answer to that. Yeah, uh, objectivity is th- like this. This performance of refusing a side is actually taking a side. Oh, right? absolutely, absolutely. And again, like. There are no neutrals. Even if you're, and this is Howard Zinn's classic, classic line, you know, you cannot be neutral on a moving train. The train of society is heading somewhere. And right now the bosses are in charge of that direction. So to be neutral is to be tacitly in support of them. What I really love about that point is that he, he even acknowledges this is a film that's about class war um, and then goes, yeah, but you've got both sides. <laughs> <in."> <laughs> Oh, that is especially listeners. And this is this is another one of those. I mean, I, this is a less rare occurrence on the show, but like stop the episode and go watch the movie like this. You, you can find this on archive.org and many other free streaming platforms on the Internet if we want to consider archive.org a streaming platform. But like that, that critics comments about wanting some neutrality, some objectivity in this film are especially infuriating when you see what happens through the course of this movie. There can, there can, there mm-hmm. is no other side to the argument. The other side to the argument is is literally the death of children. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, you know, like Barbara Coppola is a super is a superbly talented documentarian. I think this is this is her first film. Um, like she was aware of the the kind of labor uh, problem, the, the like the conflict moved down to Appalachia with uh, a crew of five and a loan of some money and just stuck stuck around and um, shot and interviewed and then edited all of this down into into the film itself. Um, it took, I think, four years of shooting, uh, rather four mm-hmm. years to make it. Um, and it's, I think it's, I think it's, um, I think it's genuinely just a phenomenal piece of work. Yeah, you can watch the whole thing on the Internet Archive Criterion. I've got yep. um, a, a collection. And it's one of those films that was, where you see it's in the Criterion collection and you don't kind of roll your eyes. You just go, yes, thank goodness. Because it, it's just another reminder that so many things are so easily lost. Oh, absolutely. Right? You know, it, I do, I, there's no production company that's going to be trying to release Harlan County, USA as a means of like raking in bucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is not this is not a Disney vault film. Um. What do you what do you think? Just on the kind of we'll get into the discourse of it, but like on the level of cinematography, on the on the shooting level, what do you think of this? I, I think the cinematography in this one is just quite frankly brilliant. Like I think Cobble's eye for what's being seen by the camera is, is so strong, even even in this like a very early work in her career. And so some of the sequences that really stand out to me is so we're down in the mines a lot with the miners, which obviously I think is really important. But the the kind of eye of the camera, it, it's so closely unified to the eye of the miner. Like we're watching the, the these like flickering beams pass overhead as our little mine cart takes us deeper, right? We occasionally look over and see like a, a fellow worker struggling in the mines, right? We see some people like, you know, like laugh and like joke with each other and stuff like that. Like it is deeply embedded in kind of this like 
a very conscious approach to how we see labor as people who work for a living rather than I, I think what a what a weaker director and what a weaker filmmaker would have done which is kind of like make it really exotic you know you, you could have really exoticized the depth of the minds and the kind of struggling masculinized sweat of this labor and and done like what we've seen time and time again in a lot of like propagandistic films from companies and so forth and i really appreciate that and especially um, also when we're on like the surface world right and the mine town and we're like looking at people's families and talking to like older miners who've retired the the camera here is decidedly not voyeuristic and not fetishistic it's got it's got a very like familial lingering sense to it yeah it's it's very it's very sparse it's very spare it's not at all sentimental also also bits of kentucky and appalachia are just mm-hmm. beautiful are just like just genuinely just beautiful landscapes just a beautiful place to live um and there's no I think that's that's the thing that's quite kind of just incredible about this movie is like the, this combination of such a place of great beauty and um, the, just the kind of hard existential struggle uh, that then spills out into this class antagonism. Um, another another thing I really love about this is the music that they use. Mm, yes, here we go. Um, so, so what are your what are you are you a, are you a kind of <laughs> Are you a folk singer? Are you, do you enjoy do you enjoy the music of a certain folk singer, perhaps uh, that you may have mentioned? I don't know. I don't think you've ever mentioned. You know, you know, right now there's somebody who for whom this is maybe their first episode of Horror Vanguard or the returning from from a time away from the show, and 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 they're like, what are they joking about? And they're missing like I don't. We have almost 300 episodes, and I guarantee you, I've made over 300 Utah Phillips references at this point. <laughs> and so the I, and I mean like I, I don't know anyone who knows me personally or anything like that like I love labor ballads I love mine songs like I love all of this stuff like these these union hymns are just like this is the best music that has ever been made um and I know there is a specific um there's a specific moment you want to talk about in the context of the music so, so like, yeah, we'll get there's there's a lot of discursive stuff too that we'll get into, but like, there's a moment, there's so many moments that that are about this documentary that are going to stay with me the rest of my life. But one of them is uh, Florence Reese, who wrote who wrote the song "Which Side Are You On," right? The the woman who put that put put those lyrics to paper. She's in this documentary as an old woman singing the song for for one of the last times, certainly one of the last times mm-hmm. on recording. And and her voice is frail as she's aged over the years, and she's clearly fighting to get the words the way she wants them in the song. And then just like slowly the audience starts singing with her, and you see people just kind of like lip singing along. You hear some people singing it. There are plenty of people humming. There are lots of people clapping. You know, and it's 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 kind of the epitome of like folk folk music boiling up through the people, right? It's everyone engaging with this how they can, how they want. Yeah, so Florence Reese is from the region she is the she's the daughter yeah. of a minor um the reason the song was written and i think this is a very important thing is because um the uh harlan county yeah. strikes in the 70s were not the were not the first harlan county mine strikes there was the decade long labor struggle in the 20s and 30s which uh, uh is is why it's called bloody harlan 
where uh, miners were shot. Miners would have uh, things thrown through their windows. Miners would just disappear. Uh, and Florence Reese was a teenager at the time um, and uh, wrote that, wrote the song as, um, like, I think just as a way of kind of like giving him something to sing on the pickets. Um, J.H. Blair was the notorious local law enforcement mm-hmm. officer at the time. Um, and yeah, I, this is why I quoted Frank Keeney, the, uh, the mine workers district president of Harlan County back in the twenties, because exactly the same violence, exactly the same struggle was being played out again and again and again. And so what you see in that scene is you see kind of someone who's lived the, the, there's a line from Gwyn Williams that I really love way he says he's giving a speech and he says that history is more than a than a page written in a book mm-hmm. you know history is history is the sweat that you can't get out of your eyes history is the fear gnawing in the pit of your stomach history is the the buckle that breaks your back like that's history too and like what you get to see in that fil- that that moment in fact throughout so much of this film is you get to see that that continuous kind of stream of historical consciousness being passed on like you, mm-hmm. the labor the labor struggle struggle of now is always the labor struggles that won and maybe especially the ones that lost historically. Oh, absolutely, yeah, and and I think like touching base with Bloody Harlan and the Miners' War is incredibly important for the context of this documentary. Like that, since the American Revolution and to today, that was the largest armed conflict on American soil. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that is that yeah. is worth sitting with for a second in the context of this and like the the miners' strike that just happened a while ago. Yep, absolutely. Uh, the Alabama miners who are out on strike for like what was it two years over oh, a year yeah, at yeah. least. And like the thing that's kind of it's 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 one of the one of the moments in the film that just is in, immensely moving. I mean, even if you just look up that segment on YouTube, like. Uh, and it's it's like a minute it's like 90 seconds of this little old, old, of you know this little old lady um and it turns into something that is it you know it genuinely like will make the hairs on the back of your neck stand up so uh, another formalist point that i think that we should get into is how this movie handles black lung yes yes indeed um what are your thoughts? I, I think this is going to echo a lot of my original thoughts about Cobble's filmmaking, but this doesn't fetishize black lung, which I think is incredibly important here, right? Like it honestly depicts not only black lung from the lived experiences of these old men who have the disease, but we also uh, get to meet a doctor who who is in the community trying to treat these miners who have black lung. And we spend a lot of time with him discussing just kind of what's going on and the difficulties we meet uh, a union member later on in the film who's discussing uh, the kind of, you know, like like how black lung is being handled overseas and how mines in Australia and Europe and the UK have much lower rates of black lung than here in the States. And it's not, and again, like this isn't the kind of like, it would be really easy to fetishize black lung in this context to make it seem something exotic and titillating and exciting but that would strip it of its like lived immediacy and couple, I, I think very importantly does not do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 
Um, and and you come to realise that actually so much of the strike was bound up in these in the struggle for for not just the mm-hmm. union contract but for conditions that were safe. Um, and the, the degree to which the entire point of the coal operators was to maximise profits, and the best way to do that is to lubricate it with the, <coughs> is to lubricate profits with blood. Oh yes, yep. Right. So because because workers are eminently disposable. Yes, I mean this is this is this is what I mean when uh, I put it in the notes. Nothing ever changes, <laughs> right? Uh, like uh, one of the one of my favorite moments in the kind of early section of the film is where it's like an old retired miner talking about how when he was like a child, when he was like ten years old, and they got paid six and a quarter cents, uh, and they decided to strike, <laughs> and they struck for eight cents. Uh, but it, it's amazing because. You know, he talks about the fact that he learned that if you stick to, like, you get a lesson in political education if you go on strike and you start to realize the antagonisms which are structurally baked into capitalist society and the degree to which the operation, the day to day operation of society is designed to obscure those antagonisms and make them less visible to people. I think that's a really strong point. <laughs> Even if it is kind of like, hemmed in by the fact that like these same conflicts still go on today you know and it's just... uh yeah the U- uaw yes. on strike yep. mm-hmm. not to um, mention sag not to mention the wga not to mention workers across the country the historic teacher strikes that happened just a few years ago right like the spirit is alive and well like i was looking at some new polling this morning that's uh suggests that union approval is up to like the low 70 percentile here in the states which that's that's not been yeah. that high in a minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we absolutely love to like, see it, and it's like it's such a such a beautiful thing to see like uh, labor militancy uh, reemerging. Oh yeah. Um, there's a f- final formal point that I know you wanted <laughs> so to get into. So sorry for this one, everyone. <laughs> we got it. We got it. We got to talk about that disturbing movie Iceberg again. <laughs> got to talk about the boring ass movie Iceberg. Ugh. Uh, okay, okay. <laughs> let's let's do it. Let's in, into into the void. Let's so, go. <laughs> so there are a lot of very difficult things to watch in Harlan County, USA, right? Um, to yeah. go back to Black Lung, there was a miner with Black Lung, and he is taking like a tenth of a breath in between every two words just to have a conversation with the film team. There, we we, yeah. we see the miners on strike. We hear them being shot at in the dead of night when the camera can can only pick up the the occasional scattering beam of light from a car. Like this is a there are aspects of this film that are incredibly difficult to watch. And one of the most challenging scenes is is after after a miner has been shot to death by a scab, we we join the miners uh, investigating the scene of the crime late at night, and and some of these union miners literally find a piece of his brain scattered on scattered on the sidewalk or scattered on the road on the way to yeah. the mines. Yeah, and yeah. like the, the, this movie is up there with the act of killing. Like this is a very challenging and and very dark movie, right? This movie is disturbing and it should disturb, right? There, yeah. Oh, go on, go on. Yeah, yeah, like absolutely. And the thing is, like, you, the thing that kind of s- s- stuck with me is like reading about Barbara Koppel and her assistant director and these um, 
these women who said that actually women would come up to them and be like, you know, there's there's probably less shooting because there are cameras around, mm-hmm. right? There's less. If you weren't here, this would be worse. Uh, and like, th- this is that's the reality of uh, like the, the the class antagonism, right? This is like the scabs and police were shoot were shooting at these people, and th- that scene is is just awful. And we but we'll get on to. Probably the, the one of the moments which really uh, just gets me, which is uh, the miner's funeral. Ah, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just just utterly kind of heartbreaking. But you're completely right, I think, to link this to um, the act of killing. The uh, I think it's and it's so telling, isn't it, that that, that, that oh, what we count as a disturbing movie. Um, doesn't really ever seem to want to talk about these or this kind of filmmaking. Yeah, yeah. The, the disturbing movie is is kind of governed by the general mindset of like a middle school boy. Like, oh, isn't that so gross? It's like the lyrics of a Cannibal Corpse song are all that can count as disturbing. But there's this kind of like, there is a much more real, much darker and much greater range of disturbing. And we find that here in Harlan County, USA. Yeah. Like if you want, if you want, if you want true horror, then um, why aren't we talking about class war? <laughs> right. <laughs> and and ju- and just to be clear here, like like to to draw another distinction, like a lot of the quote unquote disturbing movies in that meme are like, you know, we we talked about this before in a previous episode, so I won't belabor the point, but like they're they're merely aesthetic grossouts. That's it. Yeah. Uh, but here, like this this movie should disturb you, I- even even if you have like. Uh, a much more comfortable office job where you don't risk getting getting black lung every day, but like you're gonna risk getting carpal tunnel. The the boss is still turning your body into paste to to increase their paycheck. You know, if you're a cashier, your spine's still not gonna be feeling too great. Your knees are gonna be hurting from all that standing. Like you might not yeah. be getting the brunt of the blow that we see with mine workers, but like you're still getting the hit. And that and that and disturbingness whole- should should be felt. Yeah, a hundred percent. But it's like, and it's like, so much of the disturbing movie iceberg is like the aesthetic repulsion mm. that doesn't, and like the the kind of beautiful thing about the act of killing, the beautiful thing about Holland County, is you realize it's it's kind of like having um, something made very very obvious and immediate and clear to you, and you realize that yes, we are subject to these various kind of real world ho- horrors. But there are strategies and means of organization by which you f- you fight them, and you can beat them. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, absolutely. Which I think I think that that makes this that makes this movie so much more real and really like emphasizes its disturbing qualities. Is that like in the end the miners win? It's it's a feric victory for sure. And in the last like fifteen minutes, we see that they go on strike like another two or three times. Mm-hmm. In the, but that's how the, that, that's what it is to, to be in class conflict that's what this thing is it's not a single victory to get your eight cents an hour pay it's a continuing struggle like until we're free well i think this brings up a super important discursive point and and i don't i don't know maybe this is going to sound a little bit obvious but i think what we should talk about firstly is what is a strike and why why are strikes important i think that's an incredibly important topic to hit on uh, so 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 what do you got so sum this up for us uh strikes are about the 
always existing antagonism between labor and capital. Um, that, it, that, which you are, you are on one of those two sides. Like that's, that's as simple as things get. And at certain points, um, the mass of labor, the mass of working people will make demands of capital that it is not willing to grant. And the way that you press those demands and the way that you win them is you withdraw the thing that is the source of their value, which is um, labor. You withdraw labor. Um, I quoted from Zola's Germinal, and uh, it's about strike. It's about mind strike. Um, and it's a, it's a strike that's so fierce and so vicious that people starve. And it makes the point that in a strike, labor starves, but capital bleeds. Right, a, mm-hmm. that's what a strike is about. It's about bleeding away money because that's what they care about. That's what that's what the owners care about. That's what the owning class. That's what the people who control things uh, and control jobs care about. They care about the bottom line. It's about bleeding away money, and labor might have to start might might starve, and it often does. And that's why things like uh, strike funds and solidarity funds are so important because it means you can literally keep bread on people's tables. Um, but on the very simple level, that's what a strike is. It is about the withdrawing of the source of value, which is labor. And it's about making demands of capital. It's not about just taking what is given, but it's about making demands and exerting class power. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And even the miners themselves acknowledge that towards the end of the movie, right? They're like, they're talking about how, like, in the beginning, like, the, the mine bosses and the companies didn't care. It was only when their stock portfolios were starting to get hit towards the end of the struggle that they began to, like, come to the table and buckle. Yeah, absolutely. That's because that, that's what it's about. Yeah. A strike. It, uh, in the strike, labor starves, capital bleeds. And if you bleed them for long enough, that's how you win. So I do, I do want to kind of dovetail this into talking about something that gets really overlooked in a lot of labor conversations Um, But this film takes a lot of time to focus on. And that's the kind of like the figure of the quote unquote union made. Yeah, which uh, as a label, I'm not I'm not wild about because because there's a lot of gender discourse in how we talk about in how we talk about these traditionally masculinized roles. Um, I mean, but the history of mining tells you men, women and children rule down there. Um, And it's like. I what I do what I really do like about the movie is the, is the time that it spends with um, the women of these mining communities, the women of these families. Um, yeah, I think it's incredible. What are, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mainly evoke the phrase "union made" here um, in in relation to the Woody Guthrie song that uh, a fan requested yeah. he make a labor song from the perspective of a, a wife of a union worker or a worker trying to unionize. And I think it's really important that this film focalizes that because like this, this strike is carried on the back of not just the men down in the mines, but like their, their wives and family members back at home who take up so much of the organizing tasks and some of, some of the most dedicated, some of the strongest, some of the, the union members with the strongest back, right? Like there's a woman named Lois in this documentary who is just like, like a staunch defender of the working class. And there's this phenomenal line where we, we, kind of, we kind of see like a moment of tension rise between all these people and then they start fighting over personal grievances that, that are, have nothing to do with the union fight that they're a part of, right? They're fighting over, oh, like your husband's an alcoholic and you've been mean to me all these years or whatever. And, and one of the women just kind of like takes control of the conversation and she says uh, something to the effect of, if you want my man, you can have him. I'm not after a man, I'm after a contract. Which, 
it's, it's just one of the it's, I'm sorry that's one of the coldest lines in cinema it's it's so cool yeah you see that's seriously, that's seriously the hardest fucking line I have heard in a movie in ages you couldn't have an 80s action hero walking away from an explosion saying something tougher than that so so cool um and then it's like it's like the the scene with um it's Lawrence Jones is the name of the miner mm-hmm. and he's like 20 you know 21 maybe um and you see the scene of his funeral uh um and like uh this kind of this kind of um thing is i think it's very hard to do it's so hard to watch it's so kind of emotionally raw and you realize he's got a 16 year old wife um who's been kind of now left with an entire family to take care of um and i think it's well worth it's a, it's to the film's credit that it spends the time again it's remarkably not judgmental um but it is not kind of fetishistic or exoticizing of people who've made social choices based on the material conditions and the social situations they exist within um uh yeah i think all of the time that it's spent on the women who organize picket lines who kind of like turn up and protest to keep uh keep you know all of the all of that domestic labor is just as important mm-hmm. uh as the uh labor of maintaining picket lines of like negotiation and it's the film gives them both equal weight i think and, and I, I think this is very strongly important too because what we're seeing in harlan county usa the, the, the documentary what we see in this labor struggle is the unification of what has now become domestic labor with labor in the mines it's mm-hmm. the, these two forces coming together, these two forms of the working class joining together. And this is something we'll definitely touch on in later sections of our discourse zone here. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that we should probably talk about vehicles. Oh, let's talk about cars and sadly not the Charlie XCX song Vroom Vroom. We're not going to talk about that. <laughs> beep, beep. We're going to talk about other stuff. Sadder things today. Yeah, why did you put cars and vehicles in here? So this is this is in my my I've seen this movie three or four times I think in in my last watch me east at that number by the way as this episode goes on by the end of it I'm like, yeah I've seen this movie twenty ninety eight times something like that you know um but so as as I was watching this movie I was really struck by the presence of cars in this film right Your cars are certainly not focalized by Koppel right they're not a subject of this documentary in the way that so many other things are, but their kind of persistent presence is, is really, really hard to ignore, right? Uh, the scabs are essentially ramming their cars through striking mine workers so that they can get to the job site. We're seeing the, the, uh, union bosses, gun thugs, not, not only using their like access to vehicles to ram through the workers, but also as like extensions of weaponry, right? Like they're using their cars to facilitate shootings, Right, they're doing drive-bys, yeah. right? Yeah. And it, it's really hard to not see the immediate material connection between how bosses in another industry, right, bosses in the auto industry, have made this entire country dependent on the personal vehicle and similar political conversations we're having today as like, you know, like Florida is attempting to enact legislation that would make it legal to run down protesters and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, this is going to make us sound like anti-car cranks, but yeah, well, I, the car I am, is a, <laughs> the car is like a is like a is like a weapon of of 
against class solidarity. <laughs> it's it's the Batman meme where he's breaking the shotgun, but it's but it's me breaking a car. This is a weapon of the enemy. We do not need this. <laughs> Unless you're like a truck driver or like driving an emergency vehicle or some other repair thing, a specialized transport that is more carrying uh, some kind of industrial supply than it is carrying passengers. Um, yes. Yeah. It's. I think it's incredibly important to make that connection and to talk about the ways in which you know haulage and freight yeah you can you can do that on rail but can we have can we have uh a rail network that would serve commute no no we'll just have put one more lane on the freeway <laughs> oh yeah that's great yeah, it's great there's not there's nothing better than seeing a 12 lane freeway still still be totally clogged still be totally jammed it's it's almost it's almost as if we need a different solution to that. But again, yeah. that that concession, right? Like to 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 realize that we need actual mass transportation, right? We need light rail, we need more buses, we need better infrastructure, we need infrastructure that can support biking, et cetera, and so forth. That concession would weaken the boss's stronghold because if you're not dependent on a car, well then like you're not stuck in traffic for two hours every day trying to get back and forth from work. That's time that you, I don't know, maybe you could spend hanging out with your partner or ooh, talking about a union or something like that. Yeah, Reading yeah, a book. Yeah. Maybe, maybe talking with colleagues about ways of uh, collectively uh, making some demands and making sure that you have the wages, hours and conditions that you believe you deserve. Just a thought? Just a, yeah, but just a thought. We're horror movie critics, though. What do we know about this kind of thing? There is... Um, there is a point that I think we should probably spend some time digging into, which is uh, the 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 figure of the black American miner in this film, and maybe get into some wider conversations about um, race in the American labor movement. I think there's a lot of important stuff to touch on here, and I think it's it's very important that Koppel's documentary doesn't shy away from issues of race. You know, because the the kind of classic formulation, like one of the things, possibly the thing that divides the working class is is racism. We tend to view blue collar work, right, like labor with a capital L as quote unquote white, right? We, we see it through this racialized lens that's been reproduced by media. And, and I think Cobble's documentary kind of works against that because we do see several black miners in this film. And, and not only that, but like, they're they're talking on screen they're getting to engage with you know like the topics of the union the topics of how their unionism intersects with their race and their position inside of a greater white supremacist system even though the documentary doesn't spend um, and, and i'll say enough time with those issues and i think this this even hits harder when you consider when this documentary is made right we're not like 10 years out from the civil rights movement when this documentary is filmed yeah, absolutely, and and like again, this is not a this is not a this is not an an infrequent point. You know, um, W. E. B. Du Bois has written yep. about this. Um, uh, what's the, what's the book? It's um, Black Reconstruction, I think. And this importance of actually, um, I I was thinking quite a lot of um, Stuart Hall's uh, quote about um, race as the kind of modality that class is experienced and lived through. Mm-hmm. Um, and the ways in which, you know, this rhetoric and the the points about the civil rights movement and the struggle, particularly of black radicals and black communists in, in America across Appalachia and the South, is often minimized, is often excluded. And 
uh, you know, the American labor movement in particular has been uh, sort of painfully slow to recognize the degree to which the question of of uh, race is often used as a wedge issue. Mm-hmm. You know, white workers are promised something that they would lose if the workplace was desegregated. Or and the answer to that is not is not retrenchment, but the answer to that is like the expansion of a union, right? Is the expanding the expanding of the base of of class power and making sure that it it maps onto the actual material structures of class itself, which has to include. Uh, the racialized nature of capitalism. Yeah, if if your boss is telling you that, oh, well, I'd love to give you a raise, but if those guys got got a raise too, we would we would have to hold back your money. That's that's the boss letting you know what they're weak against. They're weak against unity. They're weak to solidarity. This is true time immemorial, and we 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 kind of see this play out in the documentary too, right? You know, like there are a lot of there, there's a lot of like difficult racism to process in this documentary, but. It's it's the boss's gun thugs that are hauling that that are that are throwing those racial slurs, right? They're, they're trying to drive this kind of racial antagonism as a as, just as you said as a wedge issue to break the union. Mm-hmm. And this isn't this isn't to kind of obscure the fact that like unions by and large have been bound to the same white supremacist problems that every system in the United States and indeed the UK are bound to. You know, like they they have been deeply racist throughout their history, but that doesn't mean we should turn away from the union form that means we should make it less racist maybe again i don't know yeah. i'm a horror movie critic i'm yeah well, we just we just i don't have a poli sci you know, degree we just yeah we're not we're not one of those big city labor relations experts that you know get to write columns in fancy newspapers about how the unions are damaging our economy like we just we we tell you which slasher has the best special effects and then you write that down in your little notebook that's all the shows is that's all this is (laughs) um and and this brings up actually the uh the relationship between the working classes the workers and the boss class um and even the union boss as well. I think we should talk about that. Yes, and this is this is really worth pointing out because the union becomes an institution and under capital, right? Especially now that we have neoliberal capital, all institutions over time increasingly exist to perpetuate the existence of the institution at the expense of whatever the institution was created to ostensibly handle in the first place. Right. This is if anyone out there, I mean, like I've, I've done my time in nonprofits. And if you've worked in those, you will watch that happen in real time as the nonprofit jettisons all of the things it was there to socially handle in the first place in favor of raising money for nothing or for the marketing department. But what we see in this movie is so union president, the the president of the miners union, uh, a man named by the last name Boyle. Uh, all of all of the union members that we, that we see interviewed say that he's in the pocket of the businesses, he's in the pocket of the bosses, right? He's not for us. And uh, he, he has competition, and his competition is radically opposed to him. And then mm-hmm. w- yeah. wouldn't you know it, his competition and his entire immediate family are shot dead in the middle of the night yeah. during a home invasion. And then wouldn't you know it, several years later, it comes out that Boyle hired that hit. Which is... I, again, I think I think people get a bit kind of like reticent to to talk about class wars in the context of strikes, but like this, the strike is is reveals the antagonism that was already there, right? That that is the reality of 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 
that class antagonism which structures our social relationships right this is this is this is why it's important to actually bring to the fore that yes class war is real and quite a lot of the time it's being waged asymmetrically mm-hmm. oh completely and i think there's a point made uh towards the end of the film by one of the older miners and he and he's kind of saying like oh yeah it's great that we made this win it's great that we have this union but like we have to keep fighting we have to keep winning because mm-hmm. because if you stop then you start to lose all those things that you won and we, we see that here in the United States, right? Like the labor movement, as popular as it's becoming, is still as weak as it's ever been in this country, right? And wouldn't you know, like at the same time that the American labor movement is at its most broken, we we see states putting literal children back to work in factories, something we haven't seen in a hundred years in this country, something that was stopped by unions. Yeah, I mean... Uh- it's back back to the days of the pre nineteenth century, and so this union militancy or this this kind of wave of strikes actually is not nearly enough. And it's only uh, what has to happen is, you know, the colossal profit that was. Uh, if you look at you look at the distinction between corporate profits and and average wages, and you'll just see, yeah, there's plenty of money, there's plenty of there's plenty of wealth, and it has to be taken back. It's not going to be given back by asking nicely. Uh, strikes are supposed to be disruptive because they are, as I said, they're skirmishes. They are, they're the, and they are dependent upon, the strikes in a way are a kind of a visible symptom of a growing class consciousness. And I think not only is union power very, very low at the moment, I think we're probably in one of the points of human history where class consciousness has been at its lowest as well. Absolutely. And I think on that point, like, oh, dear listener, like, and if you ever hear anyone complaining about this, here's a here's a here's a quick talking point. But like, you know, like, let's say your local Amazon drivers go on strike and then all of a sudden you can't get your your cat litter or your groceries or your art supplies, whatever you buy on Amazon. Um, that that will disrupt your life. That may disrupt your life in ways that are very dire. Right. But mm-hmm. the the answer is not to get mad at the striking workers. The answer is to get mad at their boss. Go join the picket line. Go go send the boss an angry letter demanding that they yield to the workers so you can get your stuff again. Right? Yeah, Be vocal on absolutely. social media. You know, like your your fight is not with the union. Your fight is with the union's boss, even if it's not a union you're a member of. You always I mean I mean this is the thing, you always have a choice to to pick the side. Like this is the, this is the important this is what class consciousness means, right? It's it isn't about, oh, I'm naturally going to be on one side because I know no, you have to choose. You have to be a willing, active participant in the construction of the material force that has the power to transform uh working conditions, which is solidarity. That's something that has to be made, something that has to be constructed. And I think it's important to kind of point out that like, you know, Harlan County is one of the one of the poorest places in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, it has among some of the lowest life expectancy. The population there has cratered. Uh, I think it, in the what in the seventies, I think it was around seventy five thousand people. Now it's like a third of that. Um, and it was a place that Donald Trump won by like seventy five points. Mm-hmm. Like, but it's also a place with this kind of staunch history of like radical labor organizing and like often violent confrontations with capital and with the forces of of a capitalist system and i'm like what happens when the class consciousness that is embodied in solidarity is destroyed 
is that you end up with um, no institutions in a community anymore. Often, um, if the jobs aren't there, people leave. And then what happens is you have a, a political system that's primed to make its own offer, right? I mean, this is that's been the that's been the Republican kind of strategy in American electoral politics basically for as long as I can remember. That is, that is, I think, such a fantastic thing to round out this conversation on and to, and to kind of bring it home. Because, like, this is this is this documentary takes us to the moment we're in right now, right? Like, we're we're seeing a massive surge in interest in unions and union activity and organizing and strikes, but it's still a drop in the hat of what it used to be. Right. Yeah. There is a very long way to go. And thank you, climate change. There is not a lot of time to get across that finish line. You know, like, um, oh, go on. I was just going to say, should we wrap this up by talking about how much we hate J.D. Vance? Yeah, let's let, let's let's talk about how much uh, we hate J.H. Blair. I'm sorry, J.D. Vance. <laughs> I don't know why I would have done that Freudian slip. Um, honestly, well, J.D. Vance will tell you, well... You know, it's just in people's nature to be this way, isn't it? And it's like, watch Harlan County and you'll see that Hillbilly Elegy is a, just, a, if you didn't know already, is a massive crock of shit. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I, I, um, oh, go on, go on. I, 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 I do want to recommend a book, though. Um, Elizabeth Katz, What You're Getting Wrong About Appalachia. I love that book. It's on a shelf behind me right now. Yeah. Uh, from, uh, yeah, just an amazing book. Um, do we, what do you want to? What do you want to kind of like? Any final thoughts on JD Vance on the, on the aesthetics of the working class? Uh, yeah, what I would want to say is like people like JD Vance, right? These these wealthy conservatives, right? They they love nothing more than weaponizing the aesthetics of the working class as a way to drive mm-hmm. wedge issues into the working class and break us up by race, break us up by gender, break us up by sexuality. All of the things that conservatives do, right? And the way they do this is by kind of like resurrecting this hokey puppet of the the quote unquote working man as like an uneducated white guy in torn up overalls who's like crawling around in dirt all day. And like the the way around that is to just kind of know and to keep revisiting the fact that being working class is not an aesthetic. There are working class people who wear three-piece suits every day of their lives. There are working class people who do wear ripped up shitty overalls and crawl around in dirt all day, right? Working class is not an aesthetic. It is a material position. You can wear just about anything and be working class. Yeah, there is, there is, uh, yeah, this idea of like aestheticizing class is something that's immensely common, but it's like, again, look at the look at the the materiality of every situation and the ways in which the incredible history of Kentucky of Appalachia of Holland County uh you won't see you won't see uh people like JD Vance wanting to talk about uh Florence Reese mm-hmm. or bloody Harlan yep. or Frank Keeney or uh you know the the brave men and women shown in this film right you won't want to want to do that you won't want you won't see jd vance shaking the hands of miners who go to the new york stock exchange to to pick it you know you won't see that but so i think it's an important point to kind of push back against this inevitableist um and kind of reductionist view of um appalachia particularly as an inherently reactionary place mm mm-hmm. mhm like oh it's 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 Trump country or it's you know or it's 
always going to be Republican. It's like, no, there is, there is in the coal, there's a lot of blood, right? There is a lot of, uh, or, you know, the class war has been fought. And for a very long time, the war went one way. And the union effort and the union mobilization that's happening now is an attempt to, to start the process of turning that around. We hope you've enjoyed the Dread Discourse. Until next week, stay spooky.